We're in Luke chapter 2. Luke chapter 2. As is our custom, we tend, not always, but we tend to try to skew the messages in December towards Christmas when we can, when it pleases God to do so. And in these messages, we have, over the years, viewed the birth of the Savior through the eyes of many different participants. We've learned from Mary. We've learned from Joseph, Zacharias, Elizabeth, the shepherds, the wise men, Simeon, Anna. We've even seen a perspective from Jesus' unborn cousin, John. But one perspective that I don't think that I've preached on over the years, at least not much, is that of the angels. These, these heavenly beings, be they cherubim, seraphim, archangels, these heavenly beings watch what Graham Scroggy called the unfolding drama of redemption. They didn't fully understand it, but they watched it and do watch it from start to finish. They watch with tortured spirits as Satan and his followers, one-third of their host, were cast from God's presence when they rebelled against his sovereignty. They looked on with disbelief as Adam and Eve, when placed in a perfect, wonderfully sublime environment, environment, chose to disregard their creator's instructions, reject his plan, and plunge the human race, yea, all of creation, into the death of sin. And now 4,000 years later, they stand at amazed attention as God's Son... He whose voice called them into their very existence slips from their sight to take his place in the womb of a virgin. For nine months, heaven has been missing its Prince of Peace. But now he'll reemerge. Not the grand creator, but a helpless newborn. A human, still God, but very man. In our text, we see the Father send them on a mission to deliver a message. A message of instruction and a message of praise. And as they pierced the realm of man and hovered over this tiny town outside of Jerusalem, what did they see? What were their impressions of this first Christmas? And so with the Lord's help, we take time to explore today the angel's perspective of Christmas. The angel's perspective of Christmas. As we go to the Lord in prayer, I want to remind you that there are a lot of our folks that are sick and going through difficulties, medical and otherwise. Just, just... It's a good practice just to look around and see who we miss. You know, I mentioned the Edmonds have been sick a good while. The Felties are back, and we're so thankful. They were sick for such a long time. Um, Jeanette Hensley is going through some issues with her, her heart rate, and just continue praying for her. She had an ablation, and, and so far, so good. And she's, she had a bad day today. Okay. Um, she's, she thinks she's got a respiratory infection. Okay. Yeah, that's not going to help, is it? 
Yeah, so just be praying for Miss Jeanette and just, just a host of others, Brother Helms and others. Um, so let's pray together. Father, would you touch your people? Give them healing and help, Lord, and grace along the way. And Father, as we look to your word, may I rightly divide it and do so in a way that is engaging, but more than that, obedient to you. And may Christ be lifted up in our time together. In Jesus' name we ask these things. Amen. And amen. So here are the angels, the heavenly host, as they take their place in the night skies over the hillsides of Bethlehem outside of Jerusalem. What do they see? Jesus has been born. His advent has begun. What do they see? Well, the first thing they see is unbiased grace. Unbiased grace. Look at verse number 8. And there were in the same country shepherds abiding in the field, keeping watch over their flock by night. And lo, the angel of the Lord came upon them, and the glory of the Lord shone round about them, and they were sore afraid. The angel said unto them, Fear not. For behold, I bring you good tidings of great joy, which shall be to all people. Can I remind you that salvation has always been God's plan, that it be for everyone. We, We appreciate the position that the Jews hold as God's chosen people, and we honor that, and we, 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 we speak kindly of that. God made a promise to Abraham, I'll bless those that bless you and I'll curse those that curse you. We covered a, a statistic in Sunday school this morning. We're working through the book of Esther. Did you know that in a recent survey of American Jews, 52% of them, 52% of them do something to cover their Jewishness in their day-to-day life? Because anti-Semitism is rampant in this world. Everything that's going on in Israel and Gaza and all of that with, with Hamas, it's nothing but people that hate the Jews. They hate them. Christian, we better be very, very careful that we stay on the right side of this thing. We don't necessarily have to get directly involved, but we better stay on the right side of it. Because God told Abraham, and he still means it. This was, this was not a promise that went away. This, this predates the law. This is, a, this is a promise that is meant to be kept all throughout our existence on this earth. He said, I'll bless those that bless you, and I'll curse those that curse you. And we're seeing that played out even in our history. There's a whole lot of people that hate the Jews. But God blesses those who love them. An unbiased grace. Salvation wasn't just for the Jews. As much as we appreciate them, God has always had it in his eternal plan of redemption that anyone who wishes to be saved can be saved. Anyone. Do you remember what Peter said in Acts chapter 10, verse 34? Then Peter Peter opened his mouth and said, Of a truth, I perceive that God is no respecter of persons, but in every nation he that feareth him and worketh righteousness is accepted with him. You say, well, that's Peter. What What about some other testimonies? All right, how about the testimony of Paul? In Romans chapter 1, for I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it's the power of God unto salvation to everyone that believeth, to the Jew first, and also 
to the Greek. He goes on to tell Timothy in chapter 2, verse 1 through 6 of 1 Timothy, I exhort therefore that first of all supplications, prayers, intercessions, and giving of thanks be made for all men, for kings, and for all that are in authority, that we may lead a quiet and peaceable life um, in, uh, in all godliness and honesty. For this is good and acceptable in the sight of God our Savior, who will have all men to be saved and come to the knowledge of the truth. For there's one God and one mediator between God and men, the man, Christ Jesus, who gave himself a ransom for all to be testified in due time. Okay, well, that's Peter and Paul. The Jews didn't have an understanding of this concept. They did if they listened to Isaiah. Isaiah 49, 6, and he said, is it a light thing? That thou shouldest be my servant, speaking Messiah, to raise up the tribes of Jacob and to restore the preserved of Israel, I will also give thee for a light to the Gentiles, that thou mayest be my salvation unto the end of the earth. Okay, well, that's Isaiah. Okay, well, let me give you the best source of all. How about Jesus? For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. We know that salvation, grace, is not, un, is, is not biased according to, to people group or race or ethnicity. But can I tell you something? It's also not biased according to where you stand in society. The shepherds, the shepherds were like one rung above publicans in Jewish thinking. Shepherds were not thought much of. They were perpetually unclean by nature of the work that they did. They were out in the fields. They could never go to the temple and get, and get restored. And so they were, just content, they were just continually thought of as a pariah. People in, in, in biblical Judaism did not like shepherds. Oh, they were quick to buy their sheep when it came Passover time, but they didn't like shepherds. They were pretty, pretty low on the totem pole. But who did God send the message of Christ's birth to? first shepherds we better be real careful when we start thinking that god only wants to work within a certain economic group or a certain social group or so no god wants anybody and everybody and he came to the shepherds first I don't have much, preacher. I'm not much to look at, or my house isn't much to look at, or or we've been struggling our whole lives, or we're just, you know, we're just apple. It does, none of that, none of that matters, y'all. None of that matters. Jesus Christ came and displayed a grace that is 100% unbiased. Anyone can benefit from it. That's what the angels took from this. When God sent them with the message, he said, I want you to take a message that is universal to all men, and I want you to start with those shepherds. We see an unbiased grace. You know what else they saw in their perspective of this first Christmas? They saw a universal gospel. Now, what do I mean by universal? Well, let me remind you of this, first of all. The gospel is not a plan. The gospel is a man. Well, if you do this, and you do this, and you do this, then you'll be saved. No. Salvation is by grace through faith alone in Jesus. Jesus is the gospel. In fact, his very name means Jehovah is salvation. Not brings, not gives, not offers, is 
salvation. See, there's a whole lot of people that, that believe that Christ existed. They're of Christ, but they're not in Christ. Preacher, how do you know you're going to heaven? Jesus. Amen. You see, I realized I was a sinner. And boy, am I. And I realized I couldn't save myself. And no religion would get it done. And no denomination would get it done. And no amount of good works would get it done. And no amount of political involvement, no amount of social involvement, no amount of charitable giving, none of that gets it done. Because I stand unrighteous before God, having offended him. But knowing that's me, I took everything that I am, all of my sin and all of my selfishness and all of my self-centeredness and all of my wickedness. And I said, Lord, this is what I am, and I, I can't help it. I am what I am, and I've, I've offended you in every way. I can't help it in my behavior, but I was born into a sin nature. Lord, all I know to do is believe that you are the Son of God, that you came to this earth, and that you died in my place and took my sins upon yourself. They buried you, and on the third day you rose again, having satisfied God's righteousness. And all I know to do, Jesus, is call upon you and you alone to be my savior not my religion not my denomination not my position as a preacher not my position as a pastor not being a good father and a good husband or a good American or a charitable person no all I can claim is Jesus the gospel is a person not a plan now having said that when we use the word universal if you have a universal remote, and it truly is universal, they often aren't. But if you have a universal remote, they're supposed to work for every model. Now, you may have to go through the trouble of trying to, I don't even know if it happens this way anymore. It used to be there were codes that you would punch in. And then after trying 37 codes, none of them worked. And so you decided to just go buy another TV. Or maybe that was a good time to get spiritual and get rid of yours because your remote wouldn't work. But something that's universal is good for every model and fully equipped to do the job before it. Can I just tell you something, beloved? Jesus is good for every model. And he's fully equipped to do for you what you need done. Look at verse number 11. For unto you shepherds, and all of us, for unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, which is Christ the Lord. Now, as best I can tell, there's something that happens in this verse that doesn't happen anywhere else in Scripture. We see three titles for Jesus, and this is the only place that I know of that all three of these titles are used together for unto you is born this day in the city of david a savior which is christ the lord a savior which is christ the lord those are three titles for jesus savior christ lord savior well that was pretty obvious He's the one who saves us. But then Christ. Christ is the Greek equivalent of the Jewish term Messiah. It means anointed one. But Lord, this one's interesting. Lord would be what they would see as Yahweh or Jehovah in the Old Testament. 
So what, what are these angels saying? Over there in that stable, in that, in that manger is a little baby who is your salvation, he is your sovereign, and he is your sufficiency. He's everything you need. Shepherds, I don't know what you got going on, but I can tell you this, you need heaven, you need hope, you need, you need God the Father, and that little baby is universal for everything that you need. And these angels watched and proclaimed that, that message. Can I tell you something, friend? I don't know what you think you need, but I know what you need. More accurately, I know who you need. Jesus is right for whatever's wrong in your life. And Jesus is the author of whatever is right in your life. We sing that chorus. We sing the chorus, Christ is all I need. All, all I need. And we start, we sit down and we get pen and paper in hand and we start thinking, well, I need to cut here and I need to do this here and I need to redo this here and I need to fix this over here. And listen, there's nothing wrong with maintaining your lives in a good and responsible way. But fundamentally, if you're trying to do all these maneuverings and all these things apart from Christ, it's not going to last. Well, I've made some good decisions financially. I've made some good decisions morally. I've made some good decisions ethically. I've made some good decisions as far as my employment. I've made some good decisions as far as my health. I've made, that's all fine and good. But if you think making all these good decisions is what's going to fix your life, I've got news for you, friend. You can't do anything without Jesus. John chapter 15, verse 7. Without me, ye can do nothing. What do you need? I need more money. No, you don't. You need Jesus. What do you need? I need a better job. No, you don't. You need Jesus. I need, I need answers. I need direction. I need peace. I need hope. I need health. I need friends. I need family. No, you need Jesus. And then he'll bring all into your life that you need. But you start with Jesus. He's the author, the beginning, and the finisher, the end of our faith. These angels looked, and as they gave this message, their perspective on Christmas, they saw an unbiased grace, and they saw a universal gospel. You know what else they saw? They saw an unhidden gift. This time of year, we're hiding stuff, aren't we? We have a, uh, would you permit me to sit for a second? We have a closet in our guest room. And it is known by the children, and most recently, apparently, I'm supposed to know this. You don't go in that closet. I went in there to get something. I said, what are you doing in there? I'm getting something out of my closet. Nope. Out you go. Because all the gifts are hidden. See, we don't go through the trouble of hiding things in a creative way. We'll tell the kids where they are and then threaten them. <laughs> the, all the gifts are in that closet. And you go in there and we'll be having a bonfire Christmas morning. <laughs> God offers a gift. And some people treat it 
like it's hidden. Like, like he doesn't want you to find it. I've been searching my whole life for the truth. I got news for you, friend. It's been right in front of you the whole time. This idea that we have to conquer God's reluctance to be saved or to find the truth. No, God has done us the undeserved service of putting the truth, putting the gift right in front of us. Do you know why people don't find the truth? They don't want it. Neil deGrasse Tyson, one of the supposedly most brilliant people out there who's Seems like he's just everywhere on TV lately. He's an atheist. And he was asked, what happens after death? He said, nothing. You just cease to exist. And he laid out all this scientific mumbo jumbo and everything. Do you know why him and others like him don't see what's clear and apparent? Because he doesn't want to. He doesn't want to acknowledge that there's a creator, and if there's a creator, then he's sovereign, and we answer to him. You see, when you allow for a creator, you allow for the idea that there might be somebody more powerful than man, and then you have to do what he says. And tragically, people like Neil don't want that sovereign ruler in their life, and they would rather die and go to nothing then live and go to heaven. What a sad thing. The gift's not hidden. Look at verse number 12. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior which is Christ the Lord. He's in that city over there. Best of luck, fellas. No, what's he do? He goes more detailed. And this shall be a sign unto you. Ye shall... Find the babe, wrapped in swaddling clothes, lying in a manger. I told you the city. I told you the stable. I even told you where in the stable, and I told you what he'll be wearing. Does it sound to you like God wants them to find Jesus? That's good, if you don't find Jesus that night, you weren't looking. We did a... At my last church, we did a scavenger hunt. I'm trying to set one up for our teens here because I had a great time. And what we did is we went to different businesses and different people in the community, and we gave them clues. And these teens would get into groups, and they would get a clue, and the clue would tell them where to find the next clue. And the ultimate end goal of it was to find me. And why wouldn't they want to? You know. And so we, I wrote out all the clues, and I made them just as weird as you can imagine. And at the left turn, at the crow's beak, you'll, you know, that kind of thing. And uh, finally, where I was, um, I was in a park, sitting under a light near a tree, dressed as a less than well-kept person, somewhat disguised, and finally, the one girl who led the group that found me first, she got about as far as from me to Aaron here, and she goes, I'm pretty sure it's you, but I'm scared. So me being the compassionate man that I am, I went, ah, 
you know, and then she just took off running, you know. I had a blast. What's my point? Y'all, this isn't a scavenger hunt. God doesn't give us clues and then we have to find this and find this and find this. No, he has made the truth, at least what we need to get started with, very plain. Oh, there's some depth to the word of God that we'll never plumb this, this, this side of eternity. But the truth that we need to get to heaven is very, very plain. It's not unhidden. God wants people to meet Jesus. Where do you find him? In this book? Well, I found Jesus the other night. I was watching TV and he just met with me and he just hovered over me. No, you didn't. You find him in his word. You say, well, I don't even have a Bible. How could, I, how could I find him? Well, God will begin with what's called general revelation. Romans chapter 1, verse 18, For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who hold the truth in unrighteousness, because that which may be known of God is manifest in them. Did you know you're created with something in you, in your spiritual DNA, to understand there's a God? Atheists have to short-circuit that and go against it to really believe what they claim to believe. You are made with the understanding that you've been made. Because that which may be known of God is manifest in them, for God hath showed it unto them. For the invisible things of him from the creation of the world are clearly seen, being understood by the things that are made, even his eternal power and Godhead, so that they are without excuse. Oh, Andy, you don't understand. I'm just so confused, and I don't know what to believe, and I just I hear so many things. No, here's a, here it is. It's real simple. You're a sinner. I'm a sinner. We've offended God. God in his righteousness will not overlook sin, but he sent his son to die for us. That's what his word proclaims, and if you want the truth, you have to begin right where God says to begin. Jesus. Jesus. It's not that the gift's been hidden. It's that we haven't looked for it. What are these angels seeing? They see an unbiased grace. They see a universal gospel that works for every model. They see an unhidden gift. God wants people to have this gospel. What does it result in? Unbridled gladness. Verse 13. It's almost like these other angels. And when it says this host, this multitude, it's innumerable. It could have been in the billions. It's like they've been holding back and they're listening to presumably Gabriel. And it's like they can't help it anymore. They just get beside themselves. Because remember, why were they created? They were created to praise God. Now, in different ways, the seraphim, the burning ones, would praise him in a certain way, and the cherubim would praise him in another, and the archangels like Michael would go and, you know, pick fights with people, and, and well, not pick fights, but have fights with people, and, and Gabriel would give messages. Lucifer, sadly, maybe had the most wonderful job of all. He was heaven's choir director, and he gave it up for his own pride. But it's like these guys, they're just all back there and they just can't help themselves. I mean, they're just, it's building and it's building and it's building. And they hear Gabriel and he says, and this shall be a sign unto you. You shall find the babe wrapped in swaddling clothes, lying in a manger. And suddenly, glory to God in the highest and on earth peace, goodwill toward men. I 
can't help myself anymore. Everything that Gabriel's saying is true and it's wonderful. I don't understand it all, but man, I sure do love it. You messed up and God loves you so much that he sent that little baby to fix it. Glory to God in the highest. Glory to God in the highest. Now my question is this. Those of us that do have the capability to understand redemption better than the angels, when's the last time we got excited and glad about the salvation that he freely offers to us? Maybe you don't scream out glory to God in the highest, but maybe, just maybe, a tear forms. A shout rises up. Hands lift up. Because when you think about where we could be, when you think about where we should be, as opposed to, for Christians, where we will be, it ought to generate some unbridled gladness. Glory to God in the highest. And on earth, peace. Goodwill toward men. Peace. There's no peace. Have you seen what's going on in Israel? Have you seen what's going on in our city streets? Have you seen what's going on in the Middle East beyond Israel? Have you seen what's going on between Russia and Ukraine? There's no peace. Peace is not the absence of conflict, friend. Peace is that quiet confidence in our sovereign God in the midst of that conflict. Yes, there's terrible things happening in this world. But if anybody in this world should have confidence and quietness, it should be us. Because we know who's in control. And we know how it ends. And we know that just as sure as he sent that baby the first time, the fully realized captain of our redemption will come back again. And we'll be with him in the clouds. And so shall we ever be with the Lord. And then, then we'll know some unbridled gladness. So friend, so what? So what? The angels understand the concept of redemption, but they don't understand it like we do because they've not directly benefited from it like we have. Don't be surprised when you get to heaven if an angel doesn't pull you aside and say, we got time, can you explain it to me one more time? Because it seems like a pretty great story. But if an angel can look at this Christmas and see it for what it is and see the unbiased grace and the universal gospel and the unhidden gift and the, the, uh, the unbridled gladness, how much more should we? How much more should we be moved by his unbiased grace? How much more should we be thankful that we took advantage of that universal gospel. As Christians, how much more should we seek to make sure everybody knows that the gift's unhidden? It's right before you. 
And should it not yield unbridled gladness? But maybe, maybe you're here today and you've never trusted Christ. What do you need more than anything else? Take advantage of that unbiased grace. Receive that universal gospel. Jesus. See the gift that's not hidden. And then enjoy the unbridled gladness of knowing that your eternity is secure. And that whatever you face, even so, it is well with your soul. May God help us to learn this morning from the angel's perspective of Christmas. Let's stand with our heads bowed and our eyes closed, please.